You're listening to Adoption, Fostering and Tea from the UK's LGBT plus adoption and fostering charity, New Family Social. Find us at newfamilysocial.org.uk. I'm Tor and this week I'm going to be having a cup of tea with Anthony and chatting about his adoption journey. Hi Anthony, thank you for joining us. Hi Tor, thanks for having me. No problem, any time. So how long ago did you adopt? So we adopted in uh, what we now May 20, oh Christ, 2017. So how long ago? I can't do the maths on that. So what's that? Three and a half years? No, two and a half years. Two and a half years, yeah. Two and a half years. Okay. What made you decide that that was the right journey for you? Did you consider other routes to parenthood? We didn't really as a couple. We kind of had a, um, a chat about it. We both knew that we wanted to adopt and, and there, were, there weren't really um, any other routes that appealed to us. That was the kind of, that was the most obvious route for us, as it happens. Did you know people who'd done other routes to parenthood? Yeah, so I've got um, a colleague that previously I'd worked with and, uh, and a couple of years before that, actually, who'd asked the question, asked this very same question, actually. And at the time, I remember that no other route stuck out or appealed. It was kind of always adoption, really. Was that motivated sort of by, um, I don't know, a sense of giving a family to a child that didn't have one or what What was in your mind at that point? I guess from my perspective, there are plenty of children in the world that, that could do with a home, a family. And for me, I, d- I don't really see the reason why we need to create a child, for example. There are lots of children out there that are, are wanting homes and that kind of that's the kind of front runner for me really I think and for the other half as well actually yeah it's it's really interesting because we came to adoption but for our third child because it never even occurred to us earlier than that to consider it and I don't think I'd have been that confident as a parent really before that I don't think I'd have thought I'd get past any tests or anything Did you yeah, feel yeah. Sure that you would be okay that you'd be accepted no, as it happens, because you because you kind of hear all of these all of these stories around them wanting to know around your all of the partners that you've been with, or you know everything that's you know happened within within your background. And I, w- I wouldn't say that mine or even Paul's background is particularly bad, so to speak. But <laughs> you just when you're when you're being quizzed and when you start to think about you know other other people's stories and you start to read into the process, you kind of think, what will they find? Even though you're kind of sure in your mind that you'd make a great candidate to be a parent, you do kind of think, oh, you know, there's always that nervousness in the back of your mind as you go into the process. And I imagine a lot of people would feel the same way. I don't know if you did. Oh, you know, completely. I mean, when when I first rang, I think my first expectation was that I would phone and they would say, oh, we're so thrilled that you've rung. You're just the kind of person. And then they didn't. It was all a lot more sort of lukewarm than that. Yeah. And then later in the process, I just kept thinking, I think we're going to get rejected for this and for this and for this. And this list of why we were going to be rejected was just ever growing. And I definitely thought that being a same-sex couple would go against us. I was sure that that was one strike against us. And I think I thought we'd best not use up too many more strikes because that's already a problem. And yeah. I, I mean, I think times have changed a lot anyway because we went through that process about eight years ago. But, yeah, I think it was different. Did you expect that to be an issue? Do you know what? No. And I was just thinking as you were talking, actually, when we were going through the process, it never really crossed my mind. And we were, when Paul and I were talking about the process, kind of before we started to explore it, it, did, it certainly didn't 
occur to me that that would be a particular challenge but my kind of thoughts were cemented if you like well because we we kind of we made a connection with new family social as we were going through the process as well and even though it wasn't it wasn't a problem for me previously that kind of thought was kind of cemented in my mind because obviously there's a whole world of people there's a whole family within NFS that are, are going or have been through that process yeah, I mean, that's certainly true. Did you come along to NFS stuff before you went through the process yourself? I would say probably around about the same time. So we kind of explored, we had an introductory session with an agency just around adoption. And whilst we were doing our research, we kind of stumbled along New Family Social. And actually, I think it was a, I think it was an, uh, an adults only event that we kind of went to that was organised by our local regional coordinator and they were kind of, from memory, I think they were more or less at the same time. Yeah, so for us, we went along um, We went along to stuff in advance. But the reason was that I'd done a whole lot of research online and I was reading about adoption and fostering and reading lots of kind of chat boards on lots of websites. And I was just reading these horror stories of how wrong it could go. And it got me to a point where I was thinking of giving it up because it sounded like the children were unparentable. And that it was just inevitably going to just be like a car crash. And so in the end, we sort of thought, right, we're going to go to summer camp and we're going to meet some of these kids and these families and see if these children are essentially as hard to parent as as these stories made out. And I think what I hadn't allowed for is that, you know, sometimes you post on a message board because you're really struggling and when you're really struggling, you don't really post oh, we had dinner tonight with the kids and it was really nice and nothing went wrong at all. But so we went summer camp and saw these kids and looked around. We were like, oh, okay, no, these are really nice children who've, yeah, absolutely got some challenges and stuff, but they were parentable children. And that for us was when we were like, yeah, we could actually do this. Do this, yeah. That was certainly a concern me and you do kind of, I guess throughout the process, you kind of, you read about children being, potentially unparentable but then I suppose when you get deeper in the process you go to training sessions you might speak to a variety of people within the adoption profession reiterating that message time and time again and I guess as a new adopter you kind of think you kind of think to yourself are all of the children in that bucket or are they preparing you for the worst because there may be a possibility that you have some children that may be a little bit more difficult to parent or may not seem that way at that present moment in time, but may become a little bit more difficult to parent or vice versa. So it's certainly something that was at the forefront of my mind, more so than, you know, two same-sex parents adopting, I would say. Yeah, no, I completely understand that. I think there were two things that really helped me with some of that. One is that your child won't have all the problems, you know, so your child might have some of the following. But I think you hear it as, oh, my God, what child has all of these problems, you know, so that that I thought was really difficult. And I think the second thing that I have come to realise that I don't think I realised at the time was that once you love them, that carries you through a ton of the way. And so this imaginary child that you've never met who might have lots of problems, that's kind of a bit off-putting. But actually, once you love that child, it feels really different. And actually, there is strength in that and there is kind of resilience in that. It doesn't solve everything, but it does mean, okay, I can cope and I want to cope because I love them now, you know? 
Yeah, I completely understand what you mean. I was on a work trip a while back and it was, it was, we only went up to Manchester, but I went with a client actually and she was a new client. It was the first time that she had, that I'd spent any kind of time with her. And she'd asked the question, you know, did you ever consider having your own? And I said, I kind of know what you mean. No, I didn't. But you, and having adopted them for a period of time and fallen in love with, you know, these, these two boys. I, the kind of response that I gave her was, it feels to me like they are my own children. And I feel like I would feel the same way if they were biologically my own as well. I said, obviously, I, I can't I can't say that for definite. But how I feel towards these children is exactly the same as kind of as any other loving parent would. Yeah, I feel that like that sense. now. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I feel like that now. And I do have two birth children and one adopted child. And it, it took time for me to reach that. Yes. But I can absolutely say that that's cemented for me and that that feeling isn't different for me for them, you know. Did you feel it straight away or did it come to you more slowly? No, it came more slowly. And you kind of, I think that's one of the good things about, you know, when you go through the process, you do go through training and people talk about, you know, how you might feel and you can do a bit of exploratory work around that during the process. But actually, we I know that we both didn't, feel that way to kind of start with but you kind of it was only through remembering that actually you know as you're going through the process it's it's normal to to kind of not feel like you love them in the early stages but I would say that the more time we spent with them it was it wasn't very long before you I kind of personally fell in love with both of the boys actually was it wasn't long at all see for me it took a little while but I think like you that that's really normal and I think I felt a bit of pressure because I think people want the fairy tale so they want you to say we fell in love the moment we laid eyes on them and I've heard people say that but for me it was it was slower than that and I think if someone like came back off a first date going I fell in love with them today the moment I saw them you might think wow that's a bit fast that's um, a bit and fast yeah me, absolutely yeah and for me I had to get to know our child and 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 also get to feel like this was the right place for him that I felt a bit almost like we'd kidnapped him at first, you know, that we'd taken him from somewhere that he was settled, dropped him into somewhere where he didn't know us and where he was unsettled again. And that that right to feel like he was in the right place and stuff, that just took time to cement for me, I think. So what did your friends and family and stuff think about um, your decision to adopt? Absolutely supportive, I think, across the board. I don't, in particular, if I think about my kind of close family, my mother, my sister were quite excited when they when they they heard about the news. My on my father's side of the family, that was a little bit more. I would say that's probably a little bit more difficult. So I'm so my father is my father is black and my mother is white, and the background is is predominantly Jamaican. There was a bit of Chinese in there on my dad's side of the family. So my you know his father, my granddad at the time, was kind of part Chinese. But on, on my dad's kind of side of the family, the family was huge and they have some kind of very strong Jamaican roots. And they'd never really spoken quite openly, uh, you know, about my sexuality to my dad. I, I can't even remember how I came out. I didn't, I didn't, I don't even think I even told him that I was gay. I think I just kind of turned up, you know, one day and then it was, you know, it was kind of obvious because I was with my partner. But that, for me it was everything is a little bit kind of it's always kind of been my mother first and then my kind of father kind of second and actually because throughout 
you know, when I was kind of younger, I always thought, you know, I've always been a bit nervous around coming out to that side of the family. And that's, and that's partly because my, I know that side of the family very well, but I guess in Jamaica to be gay is not, I think it's still illegal if I'm not mistaken. So, you know, it's not a very popular thing to be, but as I, um, when I broke the news to my, to my dad, actually, you know, the opposite kind of happened. He was a, he, he kind of, I wouldn't say that we, you know, we kind of had the best relationship, but was a little bit more involved, a little bit more receptive and even kind of excited to a certain, to a certain degree. I think I'd kind of surprised myself more than anything. But actually, I, I guess on the whole, overwhelming support from kind of family and and friends as well, actually, in particular. You kind of, we, we had a kind of lot of praise and you, I, I don't know whether you experienced this tour, tour as well, or you kind of see this a lot. You know, people, there are people out there that kind of, you know, will go as far as saying, you know, it's a very selfless thing to do. I can't believe you're doing it. I'm, I'm so impressed. But actually, you don't, I don't know whether you feel the same, but I, I don't kind of, doesn't feel that I know it's a selfless thing to do but actually it doesn't feel very it doesn't feel very selfless or as amazing as other people made it out to be but actually it was quite a nice time yeah I I recognize that actually because we've heard that that sort of thing about oh he's so lucky to have you and I I understand that that's a compliment and it's a really supportive thing to say of our parenting and our family but I almost feel like implied within that is you're so good to take on this burden of this child. And this child, yeah. and actually, it's anything but that. It's a joy and a privilege. And it's a bit of a cliche to say it, but I actually feel like it's us that's lucky to have him. And I just, I just thank our lucky stars that sort of our path went that way, that this was the child that we found. Because it it's works so well. It fits so well. And, and you know, it's it's not him. He's not lucky to have us. I think it's the other way around. Yeah, absolutely. I completely understand that. I would say we feel the same, actually. Yeah, I think we're we're quite lucky to have met, crossed paths, so to speak, and adopted the, the boys. So. Yeah, that's really nice. So is your dad still quite involved and quite interested? Did it? Did that continue? Yeah, like, I mean, I kind of speak to him a bit. I didn't. I didn't have a. You know, I didn't have the most conversational relationship with my father actually. But um, I probably didn't mention earlier. Actually, they're not kind of together. But I do speak to him more. And some of that is because he's a little bit older. Oh, he's obviously a lot older than me. But I'm a little older. You know, obviously, I'm. A, we're both more mature and have been in the world a lot longer, so we're a bit more wise. So the conversation is a bit. The con- we, I, I speak to him kind of more often. But I suppose there's a genuine interest in the boys as well. So he'll quite often ring and ask how the boys are and kind of makes a, an effort, more of an effort with them than not necessarily with me, but more an effort in kind of time and taking the time out to kind of make those conversations, if you like. So, so that's, that's really good, lovely actually. that it's sort of built yeah. a bridge or cemented a bridge. I think that's really nice. So when when you were going through the matching process and looking at different profiles, I guess, unless they were the first one that you saw, yeah. how did that go? So we had, um, we, oh, it was a few years back now. So there were, there were kind of, you kind of have your own view, don't you? And you kind of interpret the, you know, you kind of get the, the profile of the, of the child or children and you interpret the words that are on the page as you would. And obviously that that's different, you know, that's individual to, to everybody, I think. And so... It's quite a, it was quite interesting to see Paul, for example, pick different kids and me and, and, and us interpret um, the kind of profile of the children 
differently mm-hmm. um and you kind of you because you only have the profile you kind of start to not make assumptions but you start to form a picture in your mind based on what you believe the words to mean on paper mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. quite a lot of it can be um very subjective if you like and actually i th- I, I thought that the process was going to be more tiring than it is because you do hear stories and it is actually you know I'm, I'm not saying that it isn't tiring it can be quite exhausting and we had to kind of come back to it a few times you can't you know I personally don't believe you can kind of carve out time in your diary if you like or set aside large portions of time to do this and get it done it's not a task where you think to yourself right I'm going to do that and then I'm going to you know decide by x what I want you've really got to just take it as it comes and read the read the profile which is which is what we which is what we did we had to go back to it and you kind of you know you read a profile you kind of sleep on it see what you kind of you kind of think in the morning but actually all and I had two different if I remember rightly there were two different sets of boys or sets of children that were kind of in the running I know it's a kind of a excuse the phrase but we're kind of that we were looking at or considering I suppose is a better way of putting it I can't remember the exact circumstance that we ended ended up with the boys but there was a we'd arrived at a point where there was kind of you know a natural agreement that we wanted to progress further and obviously you're not you're not making that decision at that point in time based on a child profile that's you know there's a bit of extra work around the you know receiving the permanence report and having a, a, a conversation with the child or children's social worker but once once we'd selected the boys and we kind of went down that you know that route of obtaining the child permanence report you kind of there's a little bit of so many steps forward a few steps back because obviously with the child permanence report comes a bit more information so you don't just you know it's not a report that's filled with you know unicorns and rainbows and all the lovely things that we love yeah you know there's there might be some not so great stuff in there as well so you kind of have to consider that and then move to the next stage but we it took us I, I'd probably say weeks I think from memory to kind of you know kind of get to the point where we thought about maybe requesting it I think we ended up with two child permanence reports so we kind of got to a point where we kind of had two sets of boys as it happens uh, and then we kind of requested the permanence report, digested them, and then proceeded with a social worker appointment. So it wasn't too bad for us. I do hear stories of people that have spent a long time in matching. And sometimes I think that's a good thing. You've got to be sure that it's based on the information that you have, that they're the, you know, the right choice for you. Yeah, I think it can be can be quite difficult sometimes looking at those reports. And like you say, it could say something like, this is a spirited child. And one of you thinks, oh, how lovely. And the other thinks, that's a nightmare. And you're just interpreting those words like almost like a school report as you try and figure out what they really mean and do they really, really mean means, anything yeah. else. Yeah. <laughs> it's really bad. But I thought at the time, you know, you're kind of, the, the cynic in me thinks, you know, that some of the words might be a bit, I don't know, salesy, for example, a bit more, mm. you know, embellished because, the, the you know, the job of a social worker is to find, you know, the right match for the children. So you do, you know, you're right. You know, there were a couple of things that cropped up in the boys' profile, actually, that I thought, you know, what, doesn't, what, what does that mean practically? Yeah, definitely. So how old are your boys now? So Ben is six and Josh is four at the moment. Okay, so one in school or both in school? Both in school. So Josh, Josh has gone into reception class this September, gone. Yeah, and has done kind of the first term, got to half term actually, and then was 
we've been self-isolating for the past few weeks actually <laughs> so but ben is, is is in kind of year two year two now so actually coming on really well which is oh that's really lovely and so they've been with you i guess a couple of years now what challenges have you faced so we one of the significant challenges kind of early on and this was in the child permanence report actually is that Ben kind of um, had some kind of anger issues and and kind of not necessarily anger in terms of lashing out or violence but when he we saw this when we were doing kind of introductions if you like with the with the foster carer as well but we saw a very kind of you know angry upset little boy that used to kind of sit for a short period of time if something didn't necessarily go right or his way or something upset him he would kind of rage for kind of 45 50 minutes at a, at a time and that would you know that would look what that would look like is him you know kind of maybe sat down in a corner somewhere you know just really crying but screaming at the same time and kind of getting red at a specific situation and that would be you know constant you know screaming and that was a huge yeah, yeah. um I'd say that's probably the, one of the biggest challenges that we've we've had, really. How how was it to to see that? I'm wondering, like, what was going on internally for you? Were you distressed on his behalf or finding? Yeah, difficult, we you know? yeah we were. We saw it kind of during introductions and actually raised it with the social workers around. And the kind of challenge was maybe them not articulating it to that degree. And you know, we were thinking at the time what. You, you do kind of feel distressed because you wonder what you know what has kind of happened to almost make a child kind of behave in that way and sometimes you know you wouldn't we're not talking like um it could escalate quite quickly from something minor he had real problems when we were first doing introductions and when we were you know taking them away from the foster carers for a day out for example you know if the foster carer left her house and went left for example you know that was the norm but if we went right it was a it was a real huge problem for him and something as little as that can create you know kind of created something that big and i would say that was probably our biggest challenge we do you know you kind of think to yourself what has happened to kind of get a child into that space where they feel that's needed or that is their kind of reaction that kind of detracted if you like not massively but from his younger brother who was wasn't necessarily like that really that's really interesting because, I mean, it's one of the things that I've heard from people who've adopted siblings together is that sometimes the child that externalises their distress can end up sort of needing and attracting all of the attention or the majority of the attention from the adults. And the child that sort of internalises that distress, it can be quite hard for the parents to to see that but you know because when there's a whirlwind and then there's some quiet thing rumbling under the ground you're going to see the whirlwind you know and I, I imagine that's quite a difficult challenge really how did you balance that up? I guess we kind of just made sure so with with Ben for example this is there's a lot of time spent kind of comforting him but I guess while that was going on we just made sure that kind of one person you know there's two of us as well you can kind of split it up really one person could deal with that and the other person could kind of we kind of took Josh away and maybe did something a little bit more fun and just kind of played or did an activity or something while that was going on in the background because to get Ben for example has moved on lots since then we don't really see that at all and you would get that kind of 45 minutes of 
that scene, if you like. But there was a significant amount of time after that just talking about, you know, feelings and how, you know, he felt and what happened with that. And so we just kind of made sure that, I mean, sometimes it's not always possible, especially if you're on your own. I think those are probably the, the, the kind of the moments where it's not practical. But if, certainly if there was two of us, we'd probably just do an activity with Josh to kind of take him to take him away from it. I guess it's the times when, so I went back to work, you know, kind of after six weeks, Paul had kind of nearly nearly a year off, really. And it's those, you know, in the initial stages, it was those period, that period of time where you kind of think, oh, you know, it's not, you know, we're kind of detracting from the attention, if you like, that Josh is getting because we mm. have this, but we just persisted with it. And fortunately for us, that subsided. You still see some kind of, Ben has really struggled to control his emotions and has always been kind of on the back foot, so to speak, when it comes to when it comes to managing emotions. You still see kind of very minor snippets of that behaviour, but nowhere near what we had when he kind of moved in. And I guess that now was, that you're confident that you can manage that at least or, or live through it or whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. That was kind of, uh, uh, and in terms of challenges, sorry, Tor, just coming back to your to your question, I would say that was probably the, that's probably the biggest one we've had. We haven't really had many, if anything, it's more around kind of the practical process of having children, do you know what I mean? Getting them set up <laughs> so for true. school and just yep. make, you know, I've, I've <laughs> struggled just to think, you know, to keep on top of all the messages that come out of the school, for example. And for example, one day, you know, one of them's arrived at school with a uniform on when it was a non-school uniform day, for example. I think that's oh. <laughs> a challenge <laughs> that, most. That is a challenge. That is a bad challenge. No, I understand that, though, because actually I think the majority of it is just parenting. And then yeah. a minority of it is adoptive parenting. And then a minority of that is LGBT plus parenting. And for yes, me, they are yeah. getting smaller in slices because the majority of it is what day is PE day? What's the right kind of trainers? I've forgotten this. Can you write an essay on the Battle of Hastings in half an hour, which is what I've been doing earlier this evening. Earlier. And I'm an expert now, though. I hope I get a good GCSE out of it. Um, so it's those sorts of challenges that actually take up the majority of the time. And then we have some adoption-related challenges, and we certainly do. And then we have occasional LGBT stuff. But actually, sometimes people come and say, tell me the LGBT adoption story. And it's like, okay, there are there are those stories and stuff. But actually, I feel like that common thread of just parenting is actually, it's the majority of it for me. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree with you. Definitely the parenting. If I think about the process when we started, it, it, that's a challenge for us, you know, just going through that process. What does it mean? We were, we were talking earlier on, you know, today, Tor, about two friends that have got a challenge within the process at this present moment in time but it's about you you know you've not been through the process before so a challenge in itself is just kind of getting through that and understanding it and trying to kind of control your emotions because it is it is hard and then uh, I absolutely agree with you what's even harder is just the -the run-of-the-mill parenting you know (laughs) trying to remember to get myself dressed is a challenge let alone (laughs) boys it is it it is an absolute nightmare it's doing everything but 30 percent tired all the time (laughs) absolutely absolutely so if you were going to give advice to people who are thinking about adoption what advice would you give them I think I would say definitely do your research and not because there are any kind of not because there's a huge amount of negativity associated with 
the process or adopting by any stretch of the imagination. But just because I just think it better prepares you. And by research, I don't mean kind of, you know, sat there spending hours and hours online reading stories because you can get into a bit of a rabbit hole. Try and make a connection. I know that we are, I know that we're members of New Family Social, but if you have a network of people that are similar to you who are going through the process, by all means, talk to as many people as you can and get involved with as much as you can if not to just kind of broaden your understanding before kind of before kind of jumping in and i think that's probably and doing that in my opinion is absolutely invaluable because it can be a bit of a a bit of a minefield and it's nice to know that you you know you've got a bit of a network out there i guess it's nice to know that you have some understanding beforehand it's because i, I guess agree with that. Yeah. I think it's really nice to sit around with other adopters and foster carers who just know. So you don't have to explain why it's complicated or explain why it's a challenge. And you don't have to sort of justify the way that you're approaching things because people just know. And that's just really lovely. And then suddenly they can see beyond, you know, anything like, oh, you seem too strict or too laid back or too this or too that. It's just they get it and they get that you're parenting in the way that's right for your child. Who's faced their own particular challenges, and you you are working around those all the time. But you can't really go around the supermarket handing out a leaflet saying, "I am parenting this way because of this particular challenge," or you know, "I can't be too strict with this child because if I am, he will perceive that the relationship between us is destroyed." You know, and so we have to go gently or whatever it is. You can't do that around the supermarket, and so you can sometimes sort of feel people thinking, "Do you know what I'd do that differently?" Or "Do you know what you should do is X?" Or But amongst adopters and foster carers, it's like, no, we get it. I'm not judging you because your child is struggling. I'm not judging your child because they're struggling. I get it. You know, I love that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you. Reminds me actually of a funny story when we first adopted the boys. I was in the supermarket with just Ben and he, he kind of let out this, or he was upset about something. I can't remember specifically what it was, but he let out this extreme high pitch kind of sound almost like you know he was in pain or you know you know being murdered or something I don't know <laughs> and it, that was the, it's the I mean, it takes a lot to embarrass me but it was the first time I kind of looked up and thought I think that I don't think there is a single person on the checkouts that is not looking at me this particular <laughs> child at this present moment in time and you do you do kind of think that you know you don't there isn't there isn't a massive sign above my head that says you know I've just adopted this child or even a sign explaining the challenges that you can get with with some adopted children. So yeah, it's funny no, actually you're saying that. We, we should get a sign. We should. We make should a get sign. a sign. Yeah. yeah, we should get a sign. Just says I'm doing my best. <laughs> doing my best. Yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you so much. So I would like to thank my guest today, Anthony. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share it with your friends. Follow us on Twitter at LGBT Adopt Foster and on Facebook, search New Family Social, all one word. Visit our website at newfamilysocial.org.uk. Adoption, Fostering and Tea is produced by New Family Social. The presenter was me, Tor Doherty, with music from Matt Doherty. The producer was John Jenkins. We'll be back next week with more guests and more tea. Thank you.